0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders, to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We help leaders transform their skills to transform organizations Therefore, we transform lives. Center vision comes from the synergy of the common vision. And as you know, leaders are the ones that hold the vision. Our, our guest today is a leadership expert, and he's got some amazing things to share with us. So Scott Drake, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your passion for what you're doing. Sure. You Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um yeah my background is I
1: started life as a computer programmer and like a lot of people I always felt like leadership was something I wanted to do and leadership to me is is at a found is working through others to get things done right it's, there's things you need done but you can't or don't want to do them yourself yourself so you choose to work through other people and the problem is, as I got into leadership, I finally got some early positions, I made every mistake in the book, right? And, and, I, and I, it took me a few years to realize I just wasn't a good leader. And I was just making mistakes. So my passion for this came out of my desire to be a great leader and then failing. And then as I figured things out, it took me about a decade to really figure out leadership. And I was promoted up through the ranks in some various companies. I had leaders working under me, coming up the ranks behind me, and they were making all the same mistakes I was. And I looked at them and I said, I don't have 10 years to watch you wreck my team while you figure this out. So I thought there's got to be a better way and a faster way to teach leadership. And that's what I did a five-year research project on. And I left a role in medical education earlier this year to just go focus on this completely. So this is where I'm going to spend the next 15 years of my life is to really say, how can we help people get better at this faster, get better at the skill
0: of working through other people instead of doing everything themselves. So that's a little bit about me. So. You may remember I come from a conducting background and the article in Forbes about me says, what a musical conductor knows about leadership and people you say, what does a musical conductor know about leadership? Well, it's precisely what you just define. We can wave that little stick all day long until somebody participates. We don't have music. And, And so there's, there's some similarities there. So what is, what is your special gift that you bring to the people that work with you? So I think
1: where I help the most is that I shortcut it, right? There's, there's, um, I looked in at the kind of that engineer's mind, and I said, "What's broken about this? Why, why does it take so many people so long to figure this out, or why do so many people not figure it out?" Right? There's a lot of really good people who are not good leaders because they never quite make this shift. So, so what I do, and, and and really my superpower is to help people shift quickly. And that is really about a mindset change, but it's also, we give them a scorecard. We give them a map, the equivalent of the map of the city of leadership that you now have to go explore. And a lot of people struggle with leadership, because they don't have a clear picture of really what it is. So we solve a couple of what we consider kind of simple problems, but they're really hard to get at through the ninety thousand books on leadership on Amazon.com. Right, you can't find these 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 shortcuts. So we we really do shortcut it and, and and help people get it quickly so they can become effective quickly.
0: Because the more time we waste, the more damage we can do. Um, so. Um, you were a computer programmer did I hear that yes you did so I was in graduate school in my I was 48 59 studying getting my master's in choral conducting and half of the lab chorus were computer programmers half of them and Mm -hmm. I said well that didn't add up this is a music space they said it's the same skill set you have a an unforgiving structure you have to be creative without breaking the rules so I hmm, it's right and left brain simultaneously, which is a gift that we bring as programmers, as conductors to the workplace. Um, So talk about the relevance of this strategy. A lot of people think that strategy is a waste of time. They don't have time to do it. And it stifles their creativity. When in fact, I say, no, that's a container for your creativity. Now you can focus on being creative because you've got this part worked out. So we haven't talked about this. Talk about the relevance of strategy in your overall leadership skills, and how do you how do you make the strategy come to life as a leader?
1: Yeah, I think I think if you don't have strategy, I don't want to say it puts you in a little bit of a box, but what strategy does is it is it and makes sure that you're aware of of all the moving parts. Like if you know that there are nine levers, then you know that these are the only nine levers. And a lot of problems I, I see people that they're overwhelmed because they think there's eighty levers, right? They they don't understand everything about it. So to me. The more you can understand that these are the moving parts and here's how they interact with each other, then the, then the more confident you can become, but also the more then you can become better at playing, then you can become more creative in how you play. And you can also see where maybe situation A requires you to respond in one way and situation B requires you to, to, to respond in another way. So I think the more you understand and you can understand some of the strategy behind it, then the more creative you can actually be and the better results you're going to get as well.
0: I think everybody in leadership ought to teach middle school for a few years like I did. (laughs) (laughs) You learn a lot about leadership, like don't turn your back on people, don't pause too much, and don't ask too many dumb questions.
1: (laughs) Well, and you got to go where they are, right? You got to say, what is going to get this person to do the things that I want them to do? And it's not about you and what you want them to do. It's about them and what they want to do. And you have to find a way to get them to want to do the things that you want them to do. So it's very similar. It is similar to parenting as well.
0: Yeah. So how you do anything is how you do everything is what Richard Rohr says in his writings. So um, going back to strategic, if there's the strategic um, plan for your operations, so you know, I I guess an engagement tool. So everybody knows where we're supposed to go. And the leader says, here's the levers. We don't pull all those levers because if we're creative, we tend to want to pull a lot more levers and we don't get anything done. So there's that part about strategic thread strategy so how do we become more strategic about ourselves and growing our skills sure so growing your skills is really number one recognize that there
1: is no one size fits all for leadership right different leaders Wait wait a minute there's not one magic pill there's not one magic pills there's not one way to go about it right so what works for Hugh may not work for Scott and what works for Scott with one team may not work for Scott with another team Right. So number one, the, 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 if you really want to be strategic, you have to recognize there isn't a right way. Right. A lot of people are out to look for that right way to do something and there isn't the right way. So it really is about number one, um, the, the, the couple of foundational pieces that, that we help people put in place. Number one is a mindset is shifting from what's called an expert mindset into a leadership mindset. The expert thinks they have to have the answers. Right. They're trying to solve all the problems themselves and, and they want to be the heroes of the story. And you kind of, when you become a leader, you kind of have to shut that off and recognize it's your team that wants to be the hero of the story. So you have to become the hero maker instead of the hero. So the first thing is really, if you want to be strategic, you got to make that mind shift to recognize that you can't be the hero all the time and you don't want to be the hero all the time. And then number two, it really is recognizing that there are these nine jobs and four goals. There's a little scorecard we put together that once you understand those two pieces, you have a foundation and you can live within that foundation and be effective. And then it's a matter of over time saying, what are the unique challenges that I have? What are the opportunities I have? How do I need to adapt and adjust to meet the needs that I have uniquely as a leader? And that's what we call wayfinding. That's a, a process that we, that we encourage people to get into, whether in continuous self-improvement mode so that they're always kind of adapting to their situation. So that's really when we talk about strategy and, and, and being a strategic learner and a strategic leader, it's those three pieces
0: coming together. What about people who say, oh, I read those books. I got it. I don't need to study leadership. How do you respond to that?
1: Well, it, it, it's, it, the challenges today are different than the challenges yesterday,
0: right? Again, look
1: at, look at just the workforce today and look at, um, you have a lot of people who have decided, you know what? The way we've looked at employment for the last 80 years doesn't work for me anymore and I don't want to participate in it, right? So now we have this workforce shortage. So you're having, your people are going to change. Your customers are going to change. Your industry is going to change. Everything about the world is constantly changing. And if you don't want to change with it and you don't want to grow with it, then you're going to become stagnant and pushed out of the world pretty quickly. So if you want to remain relevant and you want to remain effective, you have to keep learning, especially if you're a leader, you have to do it. You have to have fresh data to, to be able to really do what it is that you're, that you're, that you need to do
0: or that you're, that your mission is to do. You're out there at the cutting edge. So you got to pay attention. Really. Um, that's, that's so important. That's so important, Scott. So, so um, what was true yesterday is different today. It's so, you know, our world really is changing fast. And I think in September, we're recording this in the latter part of 2021. If you listen to the podcast some future date, and we just have a massive exodus from the corporate workforce. I think in September it was almost four and a half million people. And I'm sure there's a number of them that say, I've had enough of this. I want to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And and so every year, half of the nonprofits that are founded will close. And I think that's a leadership issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a member of the Methodist church before the pandemic. We were losing 1200 members a week. I think around that. And I think that's a leadership issue. And we have before the pandemic, one in 10 pastors would make it to retirement. Now they don't have a track for leadership development in seminary, so how do these people with great hearts, great purpose, running a community charity or religious organization, a church or synagogue, how do they equip themselves with something that they don't get anywhere? Maybe they don't think is important.
1: So, the, the, rephr- do me a favor, rephrase that. That
0: that was oh, a. We got people go a long question. We got people yeah. on the saddle doing really good work, but they're really. Blind to the fact they need to equip themselves to do the job they've been called to do.
1: Yeah. So it's so if if so leadership, again, it's working through other people and there's about 10. If you look at some Gallup studies, there's about 10 percent of people who are just kind of natural leaders. They're the people that that have a natural ability to just kind of work through other people in a healthy way and in ways that are empowering and encouraging and that people want to help them right? And there's about 10% of people who aren't cut out to be good leaders, right? They, they, they may have some emotional or mental issues that, that they lack the empathy to really be able to, to understand people or to, to help people. You kind of have to want to help them to get them to help you. But about 80% of us, and I'm definitely in that camp, we can learn it, but it is something we have to learn. We're not natural leaders, but we can definitely learn it. But, you, but if you truly want to be effective working through others, if you want to amplify your impact, your impact, you know, I could only do so much with my own two hands. And I hit a point where I wanted to do more. I wanted, there were things I wanted to do that I couldn't do with my own two hands. They didn't have the skill, or I didn't have the desire to go develop those skills. I didn't have the time. I don't have the energy to do all the things that need to be done. And we have to just learn to work through others, but it is a skill. It's not something that most of us are born with. And honestly, most of us are taught things growing up, that make us bad leaders, you know, they made us great workers, hey, be the expert, find the answer, solve the problem, right? And as soon as you become a leader, though, you're not You're that's not your job anymore, you can't keep doing that, you have to shift your, your mindset and your, your objectives into something else. So, so yeah, for those people, you know, if you truly want to have an impact, and you truly want to, to do more than you can with your own two hands, then it is something that you need to to, to find, you know, it's not hard, you know, it doesn't take years to learn how to be a leader. It takes uh, hours, weeks. It takes it takes hours a week for weeks to do it, right? And you can get the foundation of the basics down.
0: All right, we're we're in the workforce. Now, of course, everybody from that perspective sees it differently than the leader sees it. So there's there's difference in perspectives. So, how do we accelerate our growth from this worker player to leader?
1: Yeah, so it, it's, it is recognizing the mindset, right? And accepting it like you choose, right? The biggest thing you have to do is choose. I choose to become a leader, right? I choose to start seeing the world and recognizing that how I saw the world before is, is, is not gonna be as productive if my goal is leadership. And I have to, to kind of explore those mindset changes and be open to making them. Um, you have to stop doing your old job, right? A lot of us, we came up through the ranks. Again, I was a great computer programmer. And I had, but as soon as I became a leader of computer programmers, I had to stop being great at my old job, right? I had to say, they're the hero of that story now. And I have a new job and a new story, and a new thing to do. So it really does become about if you want to accelerate it, it's a choice. And it's truly, it's, it sounds simple, but it's why emotional intelligence is so important, right? It's why a growth mindset and some of these other things are so important is you have to recognize those triggers that make you want to fall back into that expert
0: instead of letting you be the leader that your team really needs you to be. Yeah, well-spoken, well-spoken. So let's go back to something you said a minute ago about learning the wrong things from the people that preceded you or whatever in your sphere of influence. So what are some of the wrong things that people have learned and they try to emulate that? Well, it's not so much that I've learned the
1: wrong things. It's that like when I was a, a kid, I'm rewarded for getting good grades, but if, but if I work with somebody else, it's called cheating, right? Hugh and I can't, can't always work together on this math test because then I'm a cheater, right? So all of a sudden my whole life, I've been rewarded for my own individual efforts instead of being a collaborator working with multiple people. So that's one of them, right? If you're a kid, if you're in middle school and you have a question, you go to a teacher and you already go to an adult because they're the teacher because they have all the answers right? Or you get your first job bagging groceries at the grocery store. And if you're not sure what to do, you go to your supervisor, they're the supervisor, because they have all the answers. So you start to think you get these false beliefs that the, the leader is the leader because they have the answers. And what you end up getting into is you start to thinking then, okay, if, if all of a sudden, I'm in a situation where I don't have the answers, and I'm the leader, then is my team going to respect and trust me, right? You start having some of these false beliefs that That trust or respect that my team may have for me as a leader comes from my competence. And then what I end up in is in a competency war with my team, right? So I'm trying to earn their trust through my competence, but they're trying to earn the trust of their boss. That's me through their competence. And we end up in this competency war. And so it's that false belief though, that, that my competence is why I'm the leader or that the leader has to be competent is what sets a lot of us up for failure. And that's what we have to unlearn. That's what we have to move past so that we can create space for our teams
0: to be the heroes and for our teams to help us. So it's not your job anymore. Also, if it's not your genius, it's not your job. Um, So we, we have some of these myths that we say to ourselves about leadership. One of them is, and I hear people voice this one, I have to be willing to do what I ask other people to do. The operative word in that sentence is willing, not doing it. You're the leader. So what are some of the myths that really paralyze leaders in, in your experience?
1: I think that's really some of the bigger ones. And a lot of it is, it goes back to trust. It's, it's you want to earn the trust of your team. But there's uh, David Horsager, and don't, don't ask me to rattle off his eight, eight pillars of trust, but he wrote a really great book called The Trust Edge. And and, and we, we, feel, we want to be trusted. We want to be respected, right? We want the status, of the leader. And we feel like we get that through competency, but there's a lot of other ways through clarity and through being caring and through generosity and for, and by looking out for other people and some of that, that we earn that respect and trust of our team. And those are much better ways and much more effective ways, especially if you're trying to really build, you know, employee engagement, you know, customer enthusiasm, some of those other things come much easier through those other mechanisms and they come through your own competence, which is where a lot of people feel like leadership and trust come from.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, some I like to say in some of my keynotes that um, we leaders actually set up problems because we haven't really thought through process or the we're not aware of the consequences of our decisions. How do you respond to that? No, I agree. The one of the
1: one of the big things we teach we teach leaders is this concept of what we call moments that matter. And that a lot of leaders are very unaware of the the good or bad impacts that they're having in very simple moments. Uh, Again, if leadership is working through others, when does that happen? And that happens really in small interactions between people. And and when I ask someone for help, that's a moment that matters. That's a point of delegation. Or when somebody comes to me and says, Scott, you asked me to do X. I'm confused or I'm not sure how to proceed Help me get unstuck, right? That's another type of moment that matters. Another is somebody comes to you all excited with an idea, right? They share that idea. You're wired as a human being to see every problem with that idea. And so as a leader, you have to recognize that and not just state all the ideas of what you think is wrong with the problem that person is so excited about. You have to be curious and respond well in that moment that matter. Otherwise, what happens a lot of times is that we end up damaging motivation. We end up damaging relationships. We end up doing things. That we don't even realize that we're doing it. You know, again, a lot of times we're trying to be helpful. Like somebody comes to us and says, Scott, help me with this problem. And I want to be helpful and help them with the problem. But a lot of times that's the worst thing I can do, right? I need to maybe coach them through a process of problem solving to help them get unstuck. But if I just give them the answers to all the problems, then all of a sudden, you know, they lost that opportunity for motivation, that opportunity to get that win for themselves. And then all of a sudden, I have the only brain that works in this organization. So, yeah, it's really a lot of times in those small moments or in those things where where good things happen or bad things happen, and often the leader's not aware of of, of what they're
0: doing. I think awareness is a big skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there are um, if you if you do a search, I almost use the G word. If you do a search, <laughs> you'll find two and a half, three million just for leadership you'll find a huge number of, of, of resources and lots of definitions of what leadership is. And you know, if you were to catalog the styles, you got autocratic, you got transformational servant leadership, authoritarian, charismatic, You know, situational, uh, transactional. Um, so do you subscribe to any particular style of leadership that you teach? We teach mostly
1: in the direction of servant but, but we teach, because that's where the, the w- our big focus is how do you build engagement? How do you get people to want to help you? And the easiest way to do that 95% of the time is with servant leadership. It's the idea that, again, you're, you're going to let your team be the hero of the story. You're going to work through others to get things done. Um, as important as style, like, like, again, it goes back to, we talked a little bit about the mindset. Some of the studies I've seen sh- state that really the mindset is more important than style. It, no matter what your style is, if you if you're if you're thinking like an expert instead of a leader, if your mindset is wrong, then your style is less less effective. And then the other thing I found to be as important is the idea of what's called mechanistic or organic management. Like some problems are very routine and you want to put processes in place, but some are very creative and you need to turn the team loose with the challenges, right? So it's really about an ability to recognize when you need processes versus when you need to challenge your team. And so we teach servant, but we teach that really heavy so that they understand when processes make sense so that they know when to put those processes in place. You mean you got to be flexible, got to be flexible. You got to, you got to adapt
0: to this different situation that you're in. You happen by, this is the nonprofit exchange. Uh, We interview great leaders every week for the podcast and the video. We got about 10 minutes left. This great interview, it's got some good stuff coming. So you talked about engagement with the team. So how does the the leader inspire a highly motivated, engaged team? That's one of the big challenges, especially in church and nonprofit leaders, is engaging the board. So how do you motivate and engage your team?
1: So it's it's number one have have fewer opinions about how, right? I I I say lose the competency war, right? Uh, Challenge them to solve problems right? You have problems that you need to be solved, but you don't have the expertise a lot of times to go do them yourself. Um, It's really about saying, this is the problem. These are, this is how we will know a solution is good, right? These are the, these are the success criteria that I'm aware of today, right? Go work on this problem and, but then be okay when they come back, having done something slightly different than you would have done or recognize that there's going to be a cycle there. There's going to be a cycle of, they're going to go away and they're going to come back and you're going to refine the standards. You're going to refine, right? So it's, it may not be as efficient if you had done it yourself, but over time, you're going to get a lot more done if you can learn to let go and work through other people. So that's really one of the big things is just to recognize that people get satisfaction. People get engagement by solving problems and by helping you, right? So so let them, you know, you let lose that competency war. Let them be competent. Let them be the
0: heroes of the story. There's a soundbite. Lose the competency war cuz nobody likes a, a leader that's right all the time do they they don't like a know-it-all do you
1: want to work for a know-it-all right nope. do you like do you like working with know-it-alls do you like sitting on a board with somebody who knows everything and they just have all the answers and Scott's stupid and Scott has nothing to contribute you want to feel useful and you want to contribute right but a lot of times we don't recognize when we're the ones that are maybe keeping other people from contributing. So just pay, that's one of the things we coach, just pay attention, right? Just start paying attention to some of those situations and pay attention to yourself. And a lot of times you may see if you're open that you do some things sometimes that that can be construed as stepping on other people's toes, not, not letting other people have a chance to contribute, doing some of those things.
0: Is that about control or insecurity or are those the same realm uh, it, it's probably the same I think again it, it,
1: it um, a lot of people do go into leadership because they feel like they're going to get control right they they that's one of the big things when I first got in leadership it's like yes I can finally do things the way I know they, they can be done better right and that's an okay right that's okay to a point but but yeah I think I think it's something that a lot of leaders just have to outgrow Right. I, I am happy with a solution that gets the that is effective, that gets the problem solved more than I'm ha- more than I want the solution that I would have done myself. You know, it's, it's
0: you just kind of eventually learn that, that that's what it that that's what it means to be a leader. In the writing of Murray Bowen, um, psychiatrist, um, he has eight concepts of leadership. And in, in those methodologies, there's the overfunctioning and the reciprocity of over-functioning is under-functioning. This I would say is in the realm of, of over-functioning, but there's also the tension when you delegate something um, that to not micromanage. You want to mentor and not micromanage, if you agree with that. So what leaders wanna know is if it's being done correctly. So how do we monitor things so that we actually satisfy that people are going in the right direction? What is correct,
1: right? I mean, if you can't define correct, then you can't define, then you can't really get anybody to help you. So that's, the, but so the other thing is, is again, it's this, I think there's a tension between efficiency and effectiveness, especially when it comes to delegation, right? I look at, a, I look at something that as a computer programmer, I could have done in two days. And if I delegate it, I know that it may take four or five days. And I know that, look, I'm going to give this to them and I'm going to ask for check-in points. I'm, their work is going to go through six steps. But a step number three, I want them to check back in with me to tell me what they've learned so that we can share what we've learned and, and we can adjust standards, we can adjust trade-offs, we can adjust cost factors, we can adjust risk factors. We can do those things partially through the work and then turn them loose and then come back at another check-in point. So part of it is to recognize that it's never gonna be as efficient as if you had done it yourself, but that you have to build these feedback loops and these processes into to the work that you're delegating off. It might be done better. <laughs> it, it will be actually, it's, it's going to take a little longer, but it will. But again, you, you then get the thinking of other people, right? Your brain can only do so much. You can only be great at so many things, right? You have to, and the the more collective wisdom that you can bring together and actually tap into then collectively things will be better. Yes.
0: Well, you had an important point when I set you up for, you said, what is the right answer? I think one of the, the ways that leaders, set up failure is not clearly defining the, the goal, not clearly defining here's what it looks like when it's complete and then mentoring people with the information they need to get there. So so is that a way we set up the problem and are there others around the lack of clarity?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of issues around, a lot of management issues go back into lack of alignment.
0: It's, it's one of the
1: things, it's one of the key jobs that we teach, right? Is Is that if people aren't aligned, then that's when you're going to see uh, people building the wrong thing. You're going to see people over building, over engineering. You know, doing things. You're going to see conflict between teams because person A and person B have are working towards different standards, right? They have different different goals in mind, different things in mind. So if they if you're not clear on both what is the end state that you're shooting for, but also what is the what are the what's the quality, cost constraints, time constraints, all those things go into to to those things. Then then that's where a lot of conflict comes from as well accountability issues often go back to lack of clarity, right? I can't hold somebody accountable if if it wasn't clear what it was we asked them to do. So a lot of other management problems go back into that lack of clarity. But I think the important thing, I I wanna say this again, you're never gonna be perfectly clear at the outset, right? You have to have check-in points. You're always gonna learn as you go through the process. So you as a leader have to accept that I'm I'm gonna set you off right now with what we know. But in two or three days, we're going to know more. So come back and talk to me when we know more. And let's adjust those standards. Let's adjust those trade-offs. Then come back as you learn more. So we're going to learn as we go through it. And you can't put the the, the burden on yourself as a leader to be perfect when you delegate it. It's impossible. You can't do it.
0: So I find those, that's a great answer. That's really good, useful, helpful stuff that people can take to the bank. So um Let's talk about leaders and teams. I'm surprised to find even power leaders and corporations don't want to do a course correction with somebody because they're afraid of hurting their feelings. You know, really stupid thing That's the pleaser personality, I just got it. And then the him or him and all around it, which sets up for another failure because it's not really corrected. So the analogy I use as a conductor is I stop the rehearsal and say trumpets, that's too loud. Take it down one dynamic level they're not upset. Mm -hmm. They expect that. If I don't do it, everybody's going to think, what's wrong with him? They're in the back. They're playing a loud instrument. I'm in the front. I'm the person that's got the perspective. So why do, why are leaders hesitant to make those corrections you just talked about? And what's some advice that you can give people to be able to step up to that?
1: Well, I think, I, I don't think anybody likes conflict. I, well, let me phrase that. I don't think healthy people like conflict. Um, I think there's there's, there's just a, a typical resistance to conflict in general that I think a lot of people have. And I think that that's okay. But it also goes back to accountability. And it goes back to the standards that you've set in some of those things. And a lot of times as leaders, we don't have standards amongst ourselves as leaders, right? And one of my favorite exercises is to go to three people on a leadership team and, and ask them individually, how do you know you're doing a great job as a leader? Right, what can you observe and monitor on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis that says I'm doing a good job, I'm a good leader, and what you're going to find, just as you as you talked about earlier, there's all these different definitions of leadership, and if the leaders themselves aren't in agreement on what good leadership is, then it's hard to hold each other accountable, uh, you know. So, so to me, one of the biggest things a leadership team can do, and it's one of the things we we built a scorecard. And it's one of the biggest uses of that scorecard is that leaders, what it does is it then gives leaders a common language and a common structure to think about their jobs and then how they balance their jobs and how they do different things. So it really does help put them on the same page. So then it makes accountability easier. You know, if leader A isn't doing uh, this thing as well as we would expect, then we actually have something to base it on as opposed to just our, own opinions on what leadership even is you know so that that's that's one of the tools that we've put out there
0: many many variables here but many factors to look at and i love the fact you said there's not one size that fits all you did say we had to be healthy <laughs> never said we had to so we have to be healthy that's working on our you know managing self is is critical for leadership so got one more here we're out of time but we're going to go over um how can leaders quickly um, build and maintain trust. That trust is comes from relationship, doesn't it?
1: it? It it does. It comes from relationships. And and um, I listened to a couple episodes and somebody uh, of, of your podcast before, and somebody brought up this quote, and I love this quote, and it's one of my favorites, which is Zig Ziglar, that you can have anything in life you want if you just help them and other people get what they want, right? So a big piece of trust is to really uh, grow your own empathy, grow your own emotional intelligence. Um, recognize situations you do well, situations you do poorly, but then also recognize people and what they want, right? And and it's and it's being able to number one build good trust with them by caring about them and by listening to them and by seeing the world through their eyes and trying to help them get the things that they want. But then it's also saying. I'm not going to damage trust, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm behaving it well in the moments that matter. I'm going to make sure that I recognize my own triggers where I may respond poorly and that I'm going to work on myself so that I'm not damaging trust that I've worked so hard to build. Cause you can, you can destroy
0: it so quickly. It's, it's one of those things that can go away very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's so fast. So we have to really, um, I think working in inside of integrity breeds integrity, working inside of relationship and trust. Um, the the um the culture responds to the leader in kind because we're setting the pace. Um, Scott, this is really helpful stuff. Uh people can find you at jumpcoach.com. What will they find at jumpcoach.com?
1: Yeah, so we actually have, um, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, one of, the, one of the, the best tools they could come and find is a free scorecard, it's a free interactive scorecard, and it basically takes about 10 minutes to ask them 39 questions. And based on that, it's going to show them the nooks and crannies of leadership and where they're doing well and maybe where they're not. Where maybe here are your blind spots, right? A lot of people come into leadership going, I know I don't know at all. What don't I know? So this leadership, the scorecard will really help them understand the full scope of, of what what it means to work through other people to get things done. What we also do is we do uh, training, which is uh, which is all on-demand video training uh, with, uh, with um, uh, developmental assignments. And there's actually a community version of that training that's free. And we did that for smaller nonprofits and students. We wanted them to have access to the same training that we sell to companies uh, and that we sell to larger nonprofits. So you can actually get into all of our training for free uh and then um, and, and it's a, a great tool for them there and if they need coaching or some of those kinds of things there are other things that we do along the line as well
0: Jumpcoach.com. you're hearing a lot of really helpful stuff today so scott what do you want to leave people with a thought or a tip or a suggestion
1: you know I, my big thing is to um i'm not a big i'm not a big follow the crowd i'm kind of a i'm kind of a Uh, cut your own path kind of guy and I think we need a little bit more of that even in the places where the herd is 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 common and I think um to to really not be afraid to challenge the status quo sometimes when it's appropriate and to think for yourself and 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 to really uh to to get out there and do the things that are gonna really light you up um you know some for some people that's that's you know more common things, you know, get the job, do the normal stuff. For, for others, it's go start the nonprofit. It's go start the, uh, you know, go into church work, going to do something different. So whatever is going to make you happy, if it's, if it's not, you know, if, if it's, if it's good for society as a whole and cut your own path and go do your own thing. I think that's the, the uh, we just need more people that are, that are thinking that way and willing to do that.
0: Love it. Love it. Scott Drake, uh, jumpcoach.com. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our our audience today on the Nonprofit Exchange. You thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange.
1: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit C-Suiteradio.com.